coming up in today's Film Disruptors. You know, we were working on this like this new cinema concept and this new cinema t- technology. J.J. Abrams came for a tour of the Media Lab, sat in this, and he goes, oh, if I knew this was going to be in the homes of American living rooms, I would basically create my film strategies like this. And he gave this whole, like, kind of analysis of how he would change the way that he would make a film based on this technology's capabilities. And then that informed the engineers. So just trying to create that reciprocity um, where it's not just people working in their silos and then trying to connect at the point of, you know, bringing something to market, but really early on in the design process. Hello, welcome to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz, where we share insights and strategies from the leaders who are redefining and reimagining film and storytelling. Today's guest is Kamal Sinclair, at Kamal Sinclair on Twitter, who is director of the New Frontier Lab at Sundance and an internationally recognized expert in emerging and immersive media. And in this wide-ranging conversation, we tap into Kamal's deep knowledge of the immersive storytelling space, new technology. We discuss Sundance, of course, as well as diversity and strategies for success as an artist. And I have to say that some of what Kamal shared in this episode blew my mind, not only in the projects and artists she is working with, but also in a brilliant deconstruction and reframe of the diversity debate, which for me was completely revelatory. This episode is in two parts, and you are listening to part one. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a couple of ways to stay in touch. Firstly, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Just click subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop onto your device, your desktop, however you like to listen to your podcasts. Also, you can sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors. That's www.alexstoltz.com. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leads me to say thank you for listening, and I do hope you enjoy this two-part episode with Kamal Sinclair. And I started part one by asking Kamal to talk about her story, and career path that led her to her role at Sundance. It's been a bit of um, a kind of a journey for me as someone who came from live performing arts um, for the majority of my career, um, went to NYU Tisch School of the Arts, was in the you know, show Stomp in New York back in the day, ran a theater company, and then uh, went and got my master's in business and came out working for arts institutions that were brick and mortar, you know, uh, symphonies, hot museums, um, theater companies, and so forth, working on, you know, how to bring in resources for, you know, diverse and independent, um, you know, artists into these spaces where there's platform and audience. And that all led me to this transmedia space back at the dawn of, 
YouTube, Twitter, social media, um, at least the dawn of it in terms of a mass adoption. And I was looking for ways to diversify and to bring in new audiences for these kind of brick and mortar institutions and to support artists um, to kind of expand their, their, you know, audience space. And that led me into this transmedia space, which at the time, the idea of nonlinear storytelling, the idea of interactive storytelling, I mean, this was all really brand new fertile ground for, uh, you know, kind of new canvas for artists to paint their images and tell their stories on. Um, and so I got a chance to see that spark. Um, and then coming into Sundance, uh, first as a fellow with a transmedia art project called Question Bridge Black Males, and then coming in to manage and direct the program on the, you know, artist development side of the new frontier, which was established by Shari Frilo, who's the chief curator, um, back in 20, in 2007. It gave me an opportunity to really see these landmark milestones in the ways in which artists are expanding and hacking into and inventing, you know, the communication architecture where story lives. And I can talk more about what those specific things are. But I would say in terms of my passion, it's been clearly um, just a thrilling community to be a part of, which is, you know, artists, technologists, um, people coming from a lot of different fields of knowledge in in kind of playing together in the sandbox to understand how to make meaning with these new technologies. Hmm. That sounds uh, fascinating. And tell me about the role at Sundance and how uh, and how that works and and, and what you're looking to achieve there. Certainly. So. Um, the Institute at Sundance has, you know, kind of two sides. One is the, obviously what you see at the festival, which is, um, where we're platforming the work of independent storytellers. Um, but the other side is, you know, year round cultivation of independent voices. And I mean, actually Institute started first with its lab and kind of artist cultivation project development side. And then when all these kind of rich independent films and theater programs started to come out, that's when um, the festival became a place to platform those uh, stories that didn't really have a space, especially in the film industry, in the studio system. So we've always, and the theater program has been part of a, a you know, Sundance since the beginning as well. So we've always been, you know, multi-platform, if you will. <laughs> and, we, and we've always been, kind of the cornerstone of, of the whole institute has been that development side. So I have the good fortune to work on the development side, helping to find artists that have a story to tell and then helping them to connect to resources and advice and, you know, kind of creative advisement to, to realize those stories. And, um, but I do want to, again, just really honor my colleague, Shari Frilo for having the foresight um, back in 2006, 2007 to see, that the artists were breaking out of the traditional frame and out of the, whether it be a proscenium at the, in the theater or whether it be a frame in, in the context of cinema, she knew that there needed to be a new play space for artists to play as well as showcase. So that, so, you know, the new frontier program rests on her vision. Um, and in 2011, um, it, it was just a showcase space at the festival, an exhibition 
And then in 2007, um, Michelle Satter, who is like the number two employee at Sundance that created the, the kind of tradition of labs um, for the Institute, realized that we needed to kind of deepen our commitment to artists that are doing this brave innovation work on these new platforms and created the New Frontier Story Lab. And so that lab has been going. I got to be one of the inaugural fellows back in 2011 and just was just kind of got the <laughs> got the Sundance bug. <laughs> I was like, I drank the Kool-Aid. I was really, it was a magical experience. Um, and, and, a, and a very critical one because the project that I brought ended up, you know, going into um, 60 exhibitions around the world. It had an interactive website that drawed, you know, kind of, million plus participation. Um, it was just a, a kind of a wonderful launch pad to realize that we weren't kind of alone out there, but there was a community trying to figure out how to create interactive documentary and transmedia art. And so that, so the story lab is one of the signature programs of, of the new frontier lab program, which I run, but I, we also realized that it wasn't just about finding artists that were, had existing projects that were pushing the boundaries but that we also needed to connect artists with resource-rich environments and where, like, you know, uh, inside of academic institutions or inside of tech companies so they could get exposure to what the pipeline technologies were that were coming, you know, what these new capabilities might be, not only for the artists to be able to adopt them early and figure out how to make story with them, but also to be in conversation with the engineers so that they're not, uh, I had this one engineer from MIT, Dan Novi, was at the festival some years ago and he said, look, you know, we were working on this, this new cinema concept and this new cinema technology. JJ Abrams came for a tour of the media lab, sat in this and he goes, oh, if I knew this was going to be in the homes of American living rooms, I would, you know, basically create my film strategies like this and he gave this whole like kind of analysis and of how he would change the way that he would make a film based on this technology's capabilities and then that informed the engineers and helped them to refine it even more so just trying to create that reciproc that reciprocity um where it's not just people working in their silos and then trying to connect at the point of you know bringing something to market but really early on in the design process um, having an intersectional lens on what the potential of these uh, new technologies are. So we started a residency program in 2014 where we put artists in those environments. The first place we put artists was at MIT in Sep Kamvar's social computing group. And they played with data as clay for storytelling. And it came out with some incredible insights and learning and projects. So, you know, in the past we've worked with places like Technicolor and, um, you know, uh, USC, MIT, and some incredible new insights have come out from those, uh, you know, creating those relationships between artists and technologists, and also supporting some artists that are technologists, which is another exciting hybrid um, that comes out of this community. Uh, we also have granting, uh, strategic granting to support kind of um, knowing that, you know, Artificial intelligence is something that artists are starting to play with, trying to work with, you know, grant makers that have a particular interest in that technology or in the interrogation of it for, you know, what it might mean to journalism or ethics or the future of culture. So strategic granting is part of that, as well as we do public sessions um, and intensives that are shorter 
smaller programs that are regionally specific that look to kind of share the learning that is happening uh, within this community so that people that are just starting to want to expand their storytelling practice, they don't have to kind of start from zero, but they can, you know, kind of stand on the shoulders of the learning that's already happened and then push, push the boundaries even further. So that's, that's the, that's the program that we run. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Lot, lot, lot going on. Um, and very exciting. So yeah, so much to ask about. Um, so it sounds like breaking down silos is a big part of the mission. Is that, do you sort of see you need a honest broker like Sundance to make that happen and to sort of bring people together? Or do you think that's going to be something which can happen more naturally or evolve to, to, to for those silos to be broken down over... Uh, you know, over a period of time? You know, I think it's a, it's a, it's both. Um, we, our, our mantra is we follow the artists. Um, when we try very much not to be prescriptive to the artists, like, oh, you need to all go get into virtual reality now or anything like that. There tends to be kind of, you know, zeitgeisty moments and <laughs> moments where there's a lot of excitement about, you know, a certain area of innovation. But in general, we really try to, follow the the kind of curiosity of the artist and that I think is really critical in not and why the program has been successful is that if we were going with prescription and not following that kind of more organic creative impulse then you kind of devolve into what some people have called you know kind of tech prototype demos uh, that want to be stories but aren't or pro-social you know, tech, you know, prototypes that have a mission, but don't really have the power of what storytelling and, and artistry can do to really move hearts and minds. So, you know, if we were trying to just, just construct these kind of, you know, collaborations from a prescriptive place, I think we would not be successful in our mission. Um, but there are the, the idea of creating, opportunities for artists to learn what's happening in technology and then seeing what takes root that I think is a is a real value for example um, we had a residency at USC's world building institute um, a little over a year ago um, and there was one of our artists uh, Alex McDowell he it was already one of our alumni from the festival which you know bringing art, uh, augmented reality project. He also was one of our creative advisors at the lab. So in following his vision, he created this, you know, methodology called world building out of his experience of designing, being the art director on Minority Report, where he created a collective design process and kind of used more of a game design approach to building out the world of that film um, by bringing in a lot of different people to go through a critical imagination process about what that world might look like and building out every nook and cranny and system um, like a game would rather than like a film where you just have to build out, you know, the frame of the storyboard. And he created a process that, um, not only was able to kind of catalyze imagination around new technologies and so forth. I understand that by bringing people like Dr. John Undercoffler, who had this incredible 
you know, technology background and had already been experimenting with certain kinds of technology and haptics. And, you know, there was 11 patents that came out of that imagination process. I mean, sorry, not, it was 100 patents that came out of that imagination process. So there's some, there was something really exciting about the idea of imagination, you know, kind of something that was like kind of empirical evidence of imagination sparking innovation, which becomes our reality. And then, and then he also then started working inside of hyperlocal communities with stakeholders of a community to do that same kind of uh, speculative narrative process for them to imagine their futures. And they actually started to see changes happen in those communities that, again, followed that pr- pattern of imagination sparks innovation, sparks what becomes your reality. And so we were curious what that process with some Sundance artists, whether they were technically skilled or not, might look like in imagining the future of work. Because, you know, two years ago, particularly, there was heightened anxiety about, you know, the new wave of automation with artificial intelligence, you know, the disruption to work, the idea of, um, will we even have enough work? What does that mean? What is the impact on culture, on justice? So we put three artists from very different backgrounds into this three-month world-building process where they went through imagining Los Angeles 2037, what what the future of work would be in Los Angeles 2037. And there was also expertise brought in from all over the place. Pigeonhole Productions and the World Building Institute led the process. And, um, And what happened was, you know, similar to a game design process, there was this kind of narrative, speculative narrative, like world that came out of it. Um, But what was interesting for the individual artists that we placed there, it expanded their thinking around their own creative practices. And these really exciting projects came out of it that I wouldn't even even imagined. (laughs) For example, um, Grace Lee, who is an award-winning documentarian, she did American Revolutionary. She's been uh, she's been um, kind of following, which is about the life of Grace Lee Boggs, and she got really cued into artificial intelligence and the, what people are doing with um, kind of creating these deep databases around lived data around individuals, like what the Shoah Foundation is doing with Holocaust survivors, um, where you can be in conversation with the the person, um, even after they die. So in the case of the Shoah Foundation, New New Dimensions and Testimony, they um, interviewed a Holocaust survivor with over a thousand questions, and they captured his responses with um, kind of volumetric capture technology, which essentially creates a hologram of that, of the subject. And then they put it into a smart into a database using smart algorithms and natural language processing. You basically can go up to the hologram of this Holocaust survivor without a headset. They do a Pepper's Ghost kind of, um, or they can put it on a screen, like a you know a regular screen, and you can talk to him and you can ask him questions, and he responds fairly naturally with the you know the algorithm pulls up the right response for your question. And so when Grace saw how these technologies were being used to create conversational relationships with historical figures or living figures or fantastical figures, 
she thought about, well, what's the future of my job in 2037? I'm a documentarian. What does that mean when these technologies come in and change the ways in which we can capture and understand our relationship to truth and reality? And so she is now creating an ancestral AI for Grace Lee Boggs with her estate in Detroit. Um, and so that's something that I had not anticipated. <laughs> I was thinking she was going to do something more related to her work around Koreatown and kind of understanding that particular neighborhood. Instead, she went deep into the concept of her own future as a filmmaker. Um, another example would be Terrence Nance, who currently has a show on HBO called Random Acts of Flyness. We embedded him at MIT originally only for three months, and they ended up making him a full fellow for a year um, with the Social Computing Group. And, you know, again, he was a filmmaker with no technological background. He was going to go in and look at big data sets and help to craft story around them. And I thought he would come out with some really cool data visualizations and stories with those data visualizations. And what came out of it was a survival video game that you play with your own DNA profile. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so when he told me the concept, he basically said, look, I, I, was, I was a teaching artist for a group of Dominican boys up in uh, Washington Heights. And when I talked about their African ancestry, they didn't know that they had an African ancestry. They thought they were indigenous to that island. And he felt like, what a tragedy that they don't know you know, their own ancestors that they stand on the shoulders of. And so he said, if we, if I can create a video game where based on your DNA profile, you have to play a survival scenario that one of your ancestors would have had to survive for you to exist, then that would deepen our relationship to ancestry. So a DNA video game <laughs> came out of that. And so these things, I mean, I could never be prescriptive about that. All I could do was put people in places outside of their comfort zone and see what sparked. Hmm. Uh, great. I mean, um, if you uh, listeners want to find out more about Alex McDowell and his work, I think it's episode seven of the show. Um, he talks all about the World Building, Building Institute and uh, and so on. But that's I didn't know. I didn't realize that connection. Um, so, do you? I mean, some of these. This this might sound a bit like a uh, a reductive question, but do you do you see that these new emerging platforms and technologies and artistic forms are the way more diverse uh, and um, I guess minority stories can get out there um, stuff which which can't find its can't find its voice so easily on a film a conventional film or a or a tv documentary format is do you think there's a story there um it's a great question um yes and no and i'll uh, kind of try to break down a little bit so the ford foundation's just film program led by kara mertes um, engaged me about two years ago with a commission to look at how do you further quality in emerging media. Um, and it was a really wonderful process. I interviewed over 100 people 
from, I mean, all over the ecosystem, from, you know, venture capitalists and uh, tech executives and studio, film studio executives to, you know, public media executives down to, you know, um, people that even really weren't on the film ecosystem, but dealing with law and diversity and um, all kinds of, you know, DIY artists and DIY technologists. Um, it was really eye-opening to see, to kind of interrogate that question about what does equality look like? And, you know, one, you know, we already are in a moment, I think, where we're starting to understand not only from a financial perspective in terms of the global audiences, but a lot of the mythologies around why diverse, more diverse voices haven't been centered and represented in traditional media um, I think there's starting to be kind of an awakening, even from a financial standpoint of how critical it is to create those, to platform and to, and to create opportunities for those voices. I mean, I just had a meeting at Netflix yesterday and they broke down, you know, some of their <laughs> kind of demographic analysis of how critical it is to have a, a, a like more diversity and representation in media than ever, in, ever before in mass media. Um, particularly when you look at what kind of adoption they're seeing regionally and, and how they can, you know, stay relevant and remain comp like as competitive as they are. Diversity is critical for that. So I think that idea of emerging media and that idea of is this going to be a new foothold is a little bit more complicated now that uh, places like the U UCLA Bunch Center is coming out with these demographics about how diverse casting and diverse makers are like blowing the numbers out of the water globally than just um, more homogenous, uh, you know, kind of um, traditional representation. So, you know, I say that in that context that I think, I mean, we also have one of the, you know, on our board, um, Sean Bailey from Disney, and we've been in deep conversations with Julianne Cromit, and also, you know, any kind of institution like Disney or Netflix that wants that kind of global scope absolutely has to be diverse and it can't be um it can't be a diversity that feels uh tokenized because that the audiences can smell that <laughs> and and well especially the millennials they just just like you know it, you, know, you look at like coco and the when they tried to create you know trademark day of the dead and the uprising that happened around that was in the latin american culture what i'm you know essentially i think that question is an astute one, but one that has to be understood in terms of the climate change that's happening around mass media and traditional media in general. There's diversity is the future of, you know, any kind of viability. So that was part one of my two-part conversation with Kamal Sinclair and part two is available now. If you want to find out more about Kamal, listen to other episodes or get in touch, please visit the home of film disruptors, alexstoltz.com. And if you are enjoying the show, why not subscribe on iTunes? And if you could leave a review, that would be very appreciated. So that's it for this episode. I'd just like to say thank you again for listening and I look forward to seeing you again soon.
As anyone listening to this show for a while will know, the business of storytelling is something I'm personally very passionate about. And when I'm not interviewing film disruptors, I love applying this passion and using my expertise to help independent storytellers and filmmakers accomplish their goals and get stories made and seen. I do this by working with storytellers intensively or over a longer period to develop the project and strategy for maximum finance, distribution and commercial impact. If you are a filmmaker or storyteller and would like to find out more about how I can help your project, I would love to hear from you. Please go to alexstoltz.com or just drop me an email at alex at alexstoltz.com. Thank you.